All right. Anyway, Christmas Eve uh, communion service is at uh, Saturday night at 6.30 p.m. So join us uh, for an embarkment on a journey to Christmas. Please come early. There's going to be seasonal treats and fellowship in the foyer. And the nursery will be closed to allow everyone to enjoy the service. And then Christmas Day service, of course, is at 10 o'clock Sunday morning. That is Christmas, but we're going to show up for Jesus' birthday. And uh, so um, we'll have a blast. And then uh, information about the classes for children will be in the bulletin. And then uh, let me see. We have nursery home ministry which is December the 26th, is at 2.30 p.m. If you would like to join them, you may see John and Larie Hall. Can you stand up, John and Larie? Show them what you are. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) They're over that. And uh, so please get involved in that and go. And then uh, the prophetic convocation will be uh, next Wednesday night. And we have some uh, new speakers coming in. And so you want to be ready for that. that. And uh, I'm going to be... uh, preaching a word for you. I've already got it. So you're, you're going to be blessed by it. And uh, we're just going to break it loose. And uh, I believe God's going to move us into new things. Amen. Amen. And then uh, so that's going to be our kind of like our New Year's service. And then New Year's Day is at 10 o'clock. So uh, we'll be seeing you. So don't stay out too late uh, on New Year's Eve, right? I don't think church crew does that too much. Honey, I think Christmas, only when we were in the can world stand, that we they do can that. stay up and eat and talk longer well, yeah. than anybody else. All right. So, uh, and then Jesse Duplantis will be with us January the seventh at six thirty p.m. and January the eighth at ten a.m. And then uh, let me see. So there will be no family praise and worship uh, on the eighth. So, and then other information about the classes will be available in the bulletin. And then Brother Ted starts with us Sunday. At 6.30, and then it goes Monday night 7, Tuesday night 7, and Wednesday night 7. Okay. And uh, it's going to be a great, great time. And the live CD is out there for uh, purchase. So please get it out there at right. the book table. It's a live CD of our worship. And it really turned out great. Oh, it did. Yeah. It and, did. Uh, so it's it'll be wonderful. a blessing to you. So yeah. what do you got? Well, we kind of did <coughs> everything backwards. So do you want me to welcome the live streamers now? Nah. <laughs> Yeah, well, we are glad okay. you joined yeah. us. <laughs> Whether he says, "Sure, go ahead." <laughs> no, seriously, we're glad that all the live streamers have joined with yes. us this evening. Amen. We're very glad. Yep, we sure do. And also, if you're here for the very first time, raise your hand real high. Anyone here for the very first time? Anyway. Well, buddy, they're all homegrown. How oh, I'm missing somebody. They're pointing. Oh, well, right there. Well, we're glad well, to have nice you. It's nice to have oh, you with us. Yes. Glad to have you. Uh, Praise God. The gentleman's going to give you a pamphlet like this, and if you would be so kind, take it out to the Welcome Center after church. Okay, after church. Because <laughs> okay. they kind of get that messed up. Not these guys, but after church, fill it out and then take it to the Welcome Center, and then they'll take you over to the. Uh, cafe and you can get anything to eat or drink absolutely free and yes, that's our absolutely. gift to you yes it is it's a congregation so, and we're glad that you joined way of saying thank you yeah amen and uh then you got anything else no I think you want to receive the offering mm. I, I, okay go on your head your head hallelujah good deal all right well let me think of something <laughs> boy that was on the spot but you know what i guess you're supposed to you know you're supposed to always be on. Uh, I'm trying to think 
what I want to use. No, I use that one a lot. Um, you know, it is, it is a giving season. And, and it's time for Jesus. I mean, we think it's Jesus' birthday. We think that was when he was born. It was Christmas. And so it's a time of giving. He came and he gave his life for us. You know, that we could be saved. Gave his life for us that we could be saved and we could go to heaven. So... I think Luke 6.38 would fit in here. Give, and it shall be given. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will men and women give it back unto your bosom and with whatever measure that you meet? And I might not be quoting it verbatim, but, but whatever measure that you meet, it'll be given back to you again. You know, and so I think that it's just a time of giving and that we need to give not only to the church, but I think we need to give to each other. It, it makes me feel good when I am able to give something to somebody, even if it's a, a deer loaf, you know? Even if it's, Pete won't let me give my cooking anymore. Because they run around the neighborhood saying, I survived Pastor Phyllis's meal. But anyway, no, seriously, I just think it's a time of giving. I think if you see your brother in need, you need to give to your brother. Not just if you see him in need, but if God just lays it on your heart and says, you know, this sister needs this, or this brother needs this. You know, God spoke to us two or three, two or three times already. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Pete, we're almost broke. We've given so much, you know, to people that we see that is in need. But you know what? God will bless you. He says that he will bless you. And it'll be pressed down, shaken together, and running over that he'll have them give back into you. So as you give your tithes and offerings tonight, you know that's God's anyway. And as you give your tithe and offerings, then just know this, that God is going to stop the devourer from stealing your stuff. You know, like your car breaking down, your... your uh, washing machine breaking down, your dryer, all these kind of things. He's going to stop the devil from stealing your stuff. So I just encourage you, give your tithes, which is a 10%. If you want to give an offering, give an offering as well. God says you rob me in tithes and in offerings. So we don't want to rob God. We want to give to God because God gave to us. So as you get your tithes and offerings ready, we're just going to pray over them, and you guys, these gentlemen's going to put the buckets out, and I'm going to kill my husband for putting me on the spot, but that's okay. Maybe you'll see him Sunday. Maybe. No, you will. Okay. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, and we thank you, Father, that we are able to give, that you have given unto us, and that we're able to give you back 10% or more, whatever their desire is to give you. And we thank you that we are able because of you. And God, we know that your word never comes back void, but it does what it says it's going to do. And we know that each and every person here tonight that is giving is going to be blessed in Jesus' name. And you're going to rebuke the devourer. You're going to stop him from stealing their stuff. And he's going to be blessed. His name is going to be blessed in all the land. And Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.
Hallelujah. Now you say, well, now, Pastor, you look weird sitting up there like that. Well, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to preach on something that may make the carnal Christian mad and the spiritual Christian stirred. And uh, I by no means think that the whole body of Christ is spiritually mature, but when I'm going to preach on what I'm going to preach on tonight, really it wasn't for this congregation, it was for the television audience only. I have had the great dismay the last week, really since November the 8th, of seeing some of the most carnal some of the most immature, some of the most divisive activity of a nation, as well as Christians that I have ever seen in my life. Now, I could be quiet, but the Bible tells me, and the only reason I'm doing this is not because of political reasons, but because the Bible tells me to. The Bible says to me in Galatians, the sixth Chapter and verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself least thou also be tempted. Since the elections, we have seen family turn against family. In fact, I just had a uh, gentleman that is uh, over a portion of a factory tell me that one of his employees came to him and said, you know, we're not going to be having uh, Christmas with our family this year because of the elections, because some are Democrats and some are Republicans. So we are not able to come together because of the contention and the division, and it is so intense that we cannot fellowship one with another. What immaturity. And then I heard this said by a believer to his spouse that said, if you vote that way, you can pack your stuff and leave this house. Now, I would like to say that those were two isolated incidents, but they aren't isolated incidents. It is happening all over the body of Christ. It is happening all over the world. Our nation has been divided because of political preference, which political preference is never to divide a nation, it is to unite a nation. We live in a nation that was founded by Christian forefathers. Now, Christian forefathers founded this nation on religious freedoms. They came, they did not want to be dictated by a national church and they did not want to be dictated by a monarch of how they would worship so they came to start a new nation they founded what we call America whether right or wrong how they ever did it I, I really don't know and I really don't care and you weren't there so we don't know everything that took place certainly there are always wrongs on both sides, and, uh, but nevertheless, a nation was born.
Since then, that nation has moved into what is called a democracy. That does not mean that it is ruled by God. Our nation is not a nation that is a Christian nation or ruled by God. In fact, Christianity is one of the least strongest religions or devotions to a way of worship that is in the United States. We as, the, as a democracy have allowed freedom of speech to come into our nation and to defile the foundations of our forefathers of faith. We invite nations to come, we invite immigrants to come the right way, and with them coming, they bring with them their forms of worship. Now this is usually not done in any other nation except democratic nations. You would not be able to go to uh, Syria and start a Christian church. You could start one. It wouldn't last very long before you got killed and all the converts that you had were killed. Every nation, besides democratic nations, protect their bases of worship. We as Americans are as guilty as any of defiling the very foundation of our forefathers' faith in this nation. We now have a democratic way of rule. A democratic way of rule is this. Democracy is a form of government in which the superior power is invested by the people and enforced by their electoral system. In other words, it is a committee of people that with respect to their political electoral system submit to a sovereign power that is decreed upon a man or placed upon a man at an inauguration of our presidency. At that time, everybody then comes together, joins together, and submits to what has been called the will of the people. Now that is democracy. And whether we like it or not, we live in a democracy, not in a Christian nation. And if you think you live in a Christian nation, wake up. You don't. You by choice, and our fathers by choice, have given birth to democracy. Democracy is the rule of the majority. It is not the rule of God. Now, this came into play in, back in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel, if I could have that, 1 Samuel, the 8th chapter, and we'll look at verse 3, and uh, quite lengthy down to, four, uh, let me see, down to uh, maybe 13. 1 Samuel, oh, there it is. And it says, talking about Samuel, and his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and to bribes and perverted judgment. And it says, And all of the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah. And he said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us kings to judge us like the other nations. And the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us kings and judges that to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, 
hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me. Now listen to what it says. Democracy does not enthrone God over a nation. It dethrones God for the rule of majority. And then it says this, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. According to all of the works which they have done since the day that, they, that I brought them up out of Egypt, Aaron to this day wherewith they have forsaken me and serve, notice this word, other gods. Democracy is a form of worship. It is the, that is given over to the majority or to the majority to the will of man. And the will of man is one of the idols that must be brought down. We see Jesus wrestling with it in the darkest hour of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says, so do they also unto thee. And it says, and therefore hear unto, heed unto their voice, howbeit yet, protest solemn, solemnly unto them and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. Now, this is what happens when democracy comes in. Democracy is not for the well-being of man. It is a well-being of a few. And it says this, and he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take of your sons and appoint unto them for himself and his chariots, and shall be his horses, and, and some shall run before his chariot. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties, and will set them to air his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariot. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields, your vineyards, and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. Now, you can go ahead and read the rest of that. We won't read it all. It would be great that democracy represented the enablement or the empowerment of the people that put them in a place of rule. But, as always is, democracy always turns upon the people that give it power. That's why a government rules its people instead of the people ruling the government. In the election that we have just come out of, we have had some displeased with who was elected or voted into office as some that are pleased. This happens in every election. This is no different, except it is giving birth to a new generation. And so what happens is this great divide between left and right, Democrat and Republican, has now become a divisive, divisionary work that Satan is taking advantage on. And you heard me right well, Satan is taking advantage on. Now, we as a people, now listen to me, all of you that are watching by television, all of you listen to what I'm saying to you. Your job is not to be disgruntled at a president. You are forbidden to be disgruntled at an elected official or a positioned 
authority. First Timothy 2, 1 down through 4 tells us that we are to pray for kings, presidents, and those that are in authority. Now, once they are appointed and recognized by a system of democracy, we as Christians do not take sides of who was right or who was wrong. We do not become disgruntled at who was or who is not. Our job as Christians is to pray for those that are in authority, that we might live right here peaceably and carry out the work of the kingdom. Because the work of the kingdom is far greater than who is in office. And the bottom line is, in four years or eight years, there's going to be another election. And so the person that you're so high on or so that you're so disappointed or disgruntled at is going to be leaving office at the furthest expansion of time in eight years. And so you do not, but if you get divided and if you get disgruntled, if you get bittered, if you start spewing out things that should not be spewed out, that effect of that poison of what Satan is doing through this election is going to stick with you after who you like or who you dislike leaves office. And you're going to be stuck with the bitterness of division. Now the Bible tells us, this is what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that we should obey God more than man. How do many of you believe that? In other words, if God tells you to shut up, you ought to shut up. If God tells you to quit filthy communication, bitter and anger and malice and maliciousness coming out of your mouth, then you ought to put your hand over your mouth and your own foot up against your rear end if you are disobeying God. You will curse your family, curse your children, and curse everything that is in your hands if you disobey God. But we have Christians that have risen to a new level of carnality during these elections. I have heard such divisive things, such as people that did not vote one way, they're now bigots, racists, and intolerants. Now let me tell you something. Those types of words should never come out of your mouth just based on a political preference. They should never come out of your mouth as a Christian anyway. Could I get an amen? All right, good. I'm glad you're in agreement. So we should never, ever lower ourselves to such a carnal state. Now, the reason that I know that Satan is using this, because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, 11. 1 Corinthians 1, 11, he talks to the church at Corinth. This is a church that he has been the father of. And he says, if I could have 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 11 up there. And if you aren't mad yet, you'll have your chance to get mad in a few minutes, I'm sure. But I'm not doing this to offend you. I'm not doing this to offend anybody. I'm telling you, I'm calling the church, the body of Christ, and all those that are out there to repentance. And it says this, For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by those which are of the house of Cleo, and those which, that there are contentions among you. 
And he says, now this I say, every one of you saith that I am of Paul or I am of Paulus, I am of Cephas and, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Answer the question, is Christ divided? No. And then he says, was Paul crucified for you? No. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. Now, the reason I know that Satan is involved in this is because God is not the author of division. Ignorance of men, foolishness of men, the weakness of men, and the devil are the results of such division. Now, this type of division, when the devil gets involved, which he has, brother against brother, family against family, spouse against spouse, how foolish, neighbor against neighbor. Why would you dislike me for the vote that I cast when it's none of your business who I voted for? It is your business who you voted for, and you are a part of an electoral system called democracy. I don't like who you vote for. If they get in office, I pray for them. You might not like who I voted for. They get in office. You need to pray for them. And so we're talking about what the devil is doing through these elections. And then it says this, but I would, brethren, 1 Corinthians 3, 1, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto babes, or unto you as carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. For I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, even yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Notice that the devil is taking advantage of all of this, Democrat and Republican. I, I don't care who you are. That's not impressive to me at all. Doesn't, it doesn't impress me at all who you are. What impresses me is that, according to Galatians 3.26, that by faith we are all the sons and daughters of God. Amen? The Bible says that we are bought with a price. We are not our own. Could I get an amen? We do not belong to ourselves. The first identity that we have is Christianity. We are Christians. The second that we have, the first is by faith in Christ. The second is by choice. You are an American. Now, if you don't want that, denounce it and move. But if you are in America, then you have to submit to the supreme authority that has been positioned by the vote of the people. That's the way that democracy works. Then we understand that we are first Christians, second Americans. Then you get to choose if you want to be a Republican or Democrat. Then you get to choose whether you're going to side with your culture or your past or your root system. It's up to you. But the first two must be preeminent in your life. You first must live as a Christian. And Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do the things which I say? I have seen Christians marching in the streets against the decision of democracy. When you are to be praying for those that have been elected by the electorate system 
of democracy. You have no right to speak ill against authorities or rulers. You have no right to be disgruntled by the system of democracy that you are participant of. If you voted for somebody that I didn't, and I don't know if you did or not, but as an example, if you voted for somebody that I didn't, I should not be disgruntled because your candidate won. My job is to prayerfully support them that this nation can carry out the work of preaching the gospel to every creature in heaven. See, our job is not to be disgruntled. Our job is to broaden, to establish, to preach, and to put roots in for the kingdom of God. That's our job as Christians. Everything else falls short of that because, remember, we should serve God and obey God rather than man. And that means rather than your political zeal, your emotional confusion, your emotional passion, your promotional anger, your emotional anger. Listen, that does, plays no part in the Christian's life. Could I get an amen? Now, so we now are Christians. And the thing that earmarks Christians is Jesus said, they shall know you by your love one for another. And he says, if you can't love your brother whom you have seen, you can't love God whom you have not seen. And if a political vote, if a political system can cause you to hate your brother, and I don't care what color he is, I don't care what nationality he is, I don't care what you think or what you don't think, if a political system can make you hate your brethren, you need to re-examine your convictions and commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Because there's nothing you can do to make me not love you. Nothing you can do can make me be offended at you. Yet we have a political system that has divided a nation and divided churches. Jesus warned us about this in Matthew, the 24th chapter. And in verse 4, he says this, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation or ethnic group or nationalities will rise against other ethnic groups, nationalities, and kingdoms against kingdoms, and there shall be famine and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places, and all of these are the beginnings of the sorrow. And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now that tells you why division is so rampant in the nation and so rampant in the kingdom over an election. Over an election. When it doesn't really mean who's going to rule your life. If you're divisive, the devil's already been seated. And if you are unified, forgiving, 
walking in peace, God has already been forgiven. Whoever is in that White House is not your Lord and is not your provider, is not your God, and is not your source. And then it says this, but, be, but he that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. For the gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, in this divisiveness, in this division, there has been an upheaval of racial tension in our nation because white people don't understand black people and black people don't understand white people. Asian people don't understand black people and black people don't understand Asian people. Latino people are not understood by white people and white people are not understood by Latino people or Hispanic people. You have all of these different cultures in our world. Our world comes together in this melting pot called America. But now, during this time of political rage and discontent and division that the devil has so deceptively stepped into, now we find ourselves on the horizon of new racial problems. That doesn't mean that we should have them. It means that they're there. Racial problems come because of ignorance of other people. Most people that are prejudiced, biased, uh, bigots, intolerance, are people that have never experienced the people that they're racist towards, intolerant, or bigots towards. All they have is been taught or have had a half a story. And talking about half of stories, we live on half stories. We live off of media repeats. We believe what CNN says. They're a bunch of liars. We believe what Fox News said. They're a bunch of liars. They all twist, they all throw their curve, and they all have an agenda. And if you do not have the wherewith to get the truth, you would live in the world of a fool. That you would live or hear a one-sided story. Now, during this time of upheaval, I have noticed that certain sects of the kingdom of God or the body of Christ are using that to bring division among bodies or among believers. And so what they do is they use their ethnic roots, their ethnic unities or ties or their cultural beliefs to become the adversary of innocent people, people of different races, people that are against Asians, people that are against Latinos, people that are against whites, people that are against blacks. And so now they divide. So what they do is make the body of Christ an enemy to itself. These are nothing but false prophets and liars, every one of them. Every one of them. And if, I don't care if he's black, white, Asian, I don't care if he's Latino, I really don't care. But if he is using any type of cultural roots to guilt, to condemn, to uproot, to deceive, or to drive or to lead someone 
away from where God has presented them or planted them or rooted them, they're false prophets. Now, having said that, we as Christians must live in unity one with another. We must not allow one of the lowest common denominators, a political group or a political sect in our community to divide us. We are the people of God. I do not belong to my government. I do not belong to this world. I have my citizenship in heaven. Could I get an amen? So we must not give in to this great divide. We must give in to a spirit of unity. You know, I go to black churches and I see a picture of a black Jesus. I go to a Spanish church and I see a picture of a Spanish church. I go to a white church and I see a picture of a white Jesus. They're all liars. Jesus is a Jewish Jesus. And he is a God Jesus. And he is a world Jesus. He is not a cultural Jesus. He is not a nationality Jesus. And he must not be redefined because of your culture or because of your faith or because you lack the value system of the kingdom. Could I get an amen? Because in the kingdom there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, I speak this to the shame of the church. I speak this to the shame of those that are rallying against democracy and for something that doesn't exist. Now, are there injustices in our nation? Yes, I'm sure that there is. I don't know that my grandfather ever had injustice against him being a Swedish immigrant. My grandfather, my great-grandfather, I've only been here in really two generations, a part of one and the fullness of another. My great-grandfather came here from Switzerland, Sweden. I'm sorry, Sweden. So I don't know anything about what America's ills were. I don't think my grandfather was a part of the pilgrims or part of the great west that stole America from the Indians. I don't know that my grandfather was ever involved in the great Spanish Inquisition where thousands of Spaniards were forced to become Catholics and war and murder was all raged in the name of the church. I don't think that my grandfather was ever a slave owner. So I really don't care about all this rubbish, this trash that means nothing to eternity. I I really don't care because I don't have any cat or dog in the fight. My grandfather came here to believe in an American dream. My grandfather came here as a Catholic, knowing nothing about true redemption through Christ. He came to a Methodist church right here in this city and gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he started what they called the Protestant side of the Doshek family. Now, I'm proud of my heritage. I'm proud that my grandfather gave his life to Jesus Christ. 
I'm glad that my grandmother, though she was married to four husbands, buried them all, and the last one came up to me on the golf course and said, I will say this to you, she was the prayingest woman I ever met and was one of the best Christians I ever knew. You can be proud of your heritage. He said, and I was her last husband. I buried her. She didn't bury me. I'm glad that I had a Christian upbringing. But all this stuff that is in the past will never change your future. It doesn't matter where you are, how you got here. You're here. Amen? Amen. You're here. Maybe your mother brought you over the Mexican border when you was three years old. And you didn't want to leave your community. Tough. You're here. Maybe you came uh, to get an education from Africa. You're here. Maybe your great-grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers were slaves and fought in the Civil War to help free them right alongside of white men and Indians and Spanish people that believed in freedom. I don't know your grandfather, but I do know that he fought and he's free. And he doesn't care how he got here, he's here. And you're here as his offspring. And if you hate America so much and despise it so much, don't live in bitterness. Don't live in that type of hatred. Find a way to denounce your citizenship. But do not live in bitterness and divisiveness. Do not pit yourself against fellow Americans that don't think like you think they think. I don't dislike people for the color of their skin. I dislike people for just who they are. And I dislike a whole lot more white folks than I do black folks. I, 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 have, I have an interracial uh, marriage in my family. My brother-in-law is black. I've never had one disunified word with him except when I found him in sin one time I had to rebuke him but besides that he's been a great brother-in-law I think Troy is a great guy works hard keeps doing what he can do and provided for my sister and loves her been faithful to her I have no qualms against him at all my niece uh, has a black boyfriend. I have no problem with that. I wouldn't care if she's married to an Indian, to an Arabian. I don't want him to be a, a terrorist, but uh, it wouldn't matter to me because color of skin and nationality mean nothing. It's the core of the value of the individual human being that makes us love or makes us bitter. Amen? So, I want you today that if you have been a partaker of this, if you've let it get in your crawl, even if you're gloating about your candidate that got voted in, shame on you. Shame on you. There is no place for that in the kingdom of God. None whatsoever. It needs to get out of here. And uh, so, Rick, are you and I still working on something? Come up here for a moment. 
Rick Burke and I, even though I'm better looking and taller than him, grab a, oh, you can't sit on that. Uh, why don't you just stand there? There you go, lean. Now, Rick and I have been friends, co-laborers in the kingdom. Uh, he helped us start doing our first crusade in Dayton, Ohio. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and, uh, but Rick and I and uh, somebody in our church is working on having a, what's it called? Race reconciliation. Race reconciliation. And we're seeking to bring black people and white people together to find out just how stupid each side is. It's amazing to me that divorce affects black people the same way it affects white people. It's amazing. And it's amazing his skin is black, mine is white, but my blood is the same color as his. My organs could fit in his body. And the only thing that makes us different are the two eyes that we see it with and the attitude that we cycle it through. That's the only thing that makes us different. And so, I just want to encourage you, stop playing in the political pool that carnality has drug us into. Let's stop it. We are one in Christ Jesus. And we are brothers and sisters together. And there is neither male nor female. There is neither Jew nor Greek, which were great enemies at that time. There is neither bond nor free. Now, I realize I'm going to get criticism. I'm sure it didn't dot all the I's and cross all the T's and put all my uh, punctuation in place. But that's okay. I hope that you got the gist of what I'm trying to tell you and that we recapture ourselves from this quagmire that even men, false prophets, liars, and devils are trying to drag us into. We are one nation united together under democracy, a common electoral enablement of an individual to rule our nation, we are then, first and foremost, Christians to pray for that electoral system. Before any of that, we are Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? All righty. Hallelujah. Okay, I'm sure that took more time than I should have, but hallelujah. Thanks for coming up, Rick. And uh, did you get my text message, my voice message the other day? That said, hurry up. We're lagging behind on this racial thing. You better listen to it. Did you erase it? Well, you erased mine. Well, I did erase yours. I told you I erased yours. Did you erase mine? No, I would never erase my father. Well, good. Then you go back and listen to it. It tells you, hurry up and get it in motion. So, hallelujah. Listen, we're going to live as brothers and sisters in Christ. Couldn't they get an amen? Who we are, where we have come from, means nothing to us. Who we are right now and where we are means everything to us. So let us unite in Christ. We strive for the spirit of unity, not conformity. Amen. Amen. Not conformity. Unity is not conformity. Phyllis and I are united by a vow called marriage. We don't agree. We are not conformed one to another. I don't go through her seasons and she don't go through my seasons. She is her and I am me. And believe me, they are at odds one with another lots of times. But we suppress that. We get beyond that. 
we realize that we're husband and wives, and our new identity certainly trumps the old identity. Amen? Amen and amen. Praise God. God bless you. See you Saturday night, Christmas Eve service, and Sunday morning, Christmas Day. God bless you.